Man, if I was really God, I'd make some popcorn appear. Right now. Just like BAM! Popcorn! Mmm, mmm. Welcome to the podcast that is guaranteed to improve not only your photography, but your mind, body, and spirit as well. Full of interviews with the top image makers in the industry, where we talk photography, drink whiskey, and fill up the bathtub with high life and PBR. So grab a juice box and a handful of unsalted almonds and get ready for the show. Oh yeah, in this episode, we are joined with good friend and now new neighbor, George <laughs> Mitchell. George, yes, sir. Food and beverage. Yes, sir. That's your stick. That's my stick. And I remember we first met at a beverage workshop right. in our studio. Was that four or five years ago? Yeah, 2015 maybe, Yeah, 2016. And since then, the work that you've been posting has been fucking amazing. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that coming yeah. from you. That's that's awesome. Yes, thank you. So, I've, I don't think I've ever heard the story of how you actually chose or got into the genre of food and beverage photography. Like, what well, what is it about that genre that you're drawn to? Food is sexy, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, food has a sexy side to it. It really does, uh, and it's uh, it's addictive for a lot of people. Um, but it's colorful. It's vibrant. Yeah. It's it's really beautiful, right? Um, the beverage side of it, though, is the science equation. Okay. Right? So I started off doing wedding photography. I never wanted to be a wedding photographer. Um, it's a lot that goes into it. I did pretty well. But I like a challenge. So to sit in front of a, a bottle <laughs> yeah. and the light is not passing through it the way that you think it should because you've been shown these techniques and you're stumped. Yeah. And you may actually walk away from the set. You know, you're kind of frustrated, right? But guess what? You come back to it because it's not going to defeat you. Yeah. I love that. I think regardless of what genre you want to go into, like let's say you want to be a portrait photographer, if you actually push yourself and go through beverage photography training, you learn so much about light and its properties. Yes. Because you're right. It is. I've never thought of it this way, but it is a science equation because with wedding photography, for the most part, the formula is kind of the same. It's, mm -hmm. you know, shutter speed, how much light do I have? How do I want to freeze action? But with with product or beverage photography, which most of the time has glass in it, yes. from glass to glass, from bottle to bottle, from whatever environment you're using, what look you're going for, it is like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Right. And there's going to be hours, if not half of a day or a full day of problem solving yes. of how to move little hits or strips of light right and what looks good and why right and then you you're, you're working to protect yourself right and protect your idea of what this shot is going to look like your vision right yeah. and you move to protect yourself by adding multiple polarizers and that adds another element right of you know different colors to ice cubes or a shadow somewhere that's maybe killing and highlight too much. So you're kind of working against yourself at the same time trying to protect your vision of that image, Yeah, which adds to the equation because now I'm like, okay, why is my ice cube brown? 
yeah. <laughs> oh, where's this rainbow coming from? Yeah, yeah. And I'll never forget. Um, excuse me. Um, I was at uh, the Art Institute of Michigan, and I was showing kids, uh, young adults. I was showing these young adults the fake ice cubes, and we used some constant light, and uh, we, you know, put a polarizer on the lens, and we got to turn in that polarizer so they could see what was happening. And that rainbow, that spectrum came through, and everybody was stumped. Even me, I was like, what in the world? Yeah. And we kept shooting, and there was these you know, colors of brown starting to, as we moved it around, and, and eventually, as we worked through that, uh, we realized that the polarizer was causing these different effects. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it adds a level of complexity, but it, it makes it fun for me. I love the challenge. Um, and I, I, I really love when I have a vision and I've executed all the things that I've been taught and it comes out the way I envisioned it. Yeah. And that's, that's, or it comes out better or I come up with something completely different than what I thought I would do. I, I enjoy all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. How do you feel about all the lying that goes into beverage photography? Like fake ice is an example. I love like- it. It's not real, though. You it's know? not. Like, it's not. But at the end of the day, we are communicating a message. Yeah. And if my liquor is uh, discolored because ice ice is melted, right? Um, I think I'm kind of doing that brand a disservice. Sure. Okay. Right. You know, we're professional drinkers. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And if we see a, a brown brev- beverage that looks a little watered down, you can tell it's watered down, right? And the idea of being in a studio is that we are creating a scene and we have control. If not, we shoot outside. Yeah. <laughs> right? So why not control yeah. the condensation on a, on a glass? Yeah. Why not control the, the fact that the ice cubes aren't melting? Yep. You know, let's control those things. Yeah. And let's create an image. Let's tell a message. Let's promote the brand the way it should be promoted. And don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with using real. Uh, because that is another challenge, right? Um, so for me, I, I like the fakeness of it. Yeah. It's a great story. Yeah. Well, I bring that up because I find it really fascinating with food and beverage photography that I never knew, like before seeing behind the curtain, I never knew that it was a composite image. Right. And it was a collection of sometimes 30 different images or you know 10 different images. Right that all come together and you have to do that just because the duty of an artist that's doing you know food and beverage mm-hmm. is to craft all of these little tiny parts and hits of light and like where you're placing light and it's it's funny how like you know anal photo- photographer get on every single place they want to put light and yes. add a strip of light to the right here mm-hmm. and move certain you know things here and you have to create a base image of uh, the scene with uh, no product on it and, right. and like every product individually and you have to go down this like checklist and you're going to be there for a while a while you're going to be there for days sometimes to create one right. image depending right. on the complexity of it so i've always found it interesting and that is a if, if you want to get into composite photography start with something like tabletop food and beverage because yeah. you learn so much about isolating parts yes. and blending yeah. better parts in to blend different lights in and you have to cheat doing that because that to. ice is going to move the image and right. constantly. And it's a lot of work, you know. Um, 
but it's it, it's valuable again to the brand, yeah. right? Uh, and a lot of time I'm I'm shooting in manual focus, so we know that you're not going to get a chance unless you up your aperture. You're not going to get a, a lot of uh, of you know sharpness in that image, right? So you're going to have to shoot multiple parts, but. When I'm shooting food, it's the same thing. I'm going to composite that dish because there are, are pieces that I want to make sure that I've captured those flavor cues. Yeah. And you can fully see them. You can see those textures and you can see the moisture. Yeah. Um, that's important. Yep. Right? But to the, you know, meticulous, anal, you know, being the perfectionist of it all, that's important. Yeah. Because I'm sure you can relate I'm sure you see beverage images in national campaigns today, and you're like, I can't oh. not look at an image now. Now that I know what goes into it, I can't look at the image and appreciate it. I'm looking at I'm like where, you're where are the flaws it. and like exactly, and I can't turn that off. You can't, yeah. Um, and I see it. I see national campaigns now, and and I'm not the best, right? I'm striving to be. I've learned from the best, right? Um, but I see certain things, and I'm like, wow, how is that missed? Yeah. You know, and you have to be somewhat of a perfectionist to do this. Yeah. You know, when <laughs> when I look at an image when I'm done and I see like, you know, the highlights are mismatched, I'm like, how did that happen? That will drive me insane because yeah. now I'll walk away from that set and I'm looking around like, how did that happen? But let's go back and see if we can fix it. You know, sometimes we miss it all together, right? And someone in post can save you. <laughs> if you got yeah. a good retoucher, right? Um, but that attention to detail, you know, I tell people all the time, food and beverage photographers are like the seals of photography, right? We're like, we're, we can bend light, you know, we can expose things, we can hide things, you know, we have all those little tricks, right? Um, and when you miss some of those points or when you overlook something, it just kind of eats at you. Yeah. Um, but again, it's part of the challenge. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it's helped me become a stronger photographer, period. Period. No matter what I'm doing. Um, because I still do portraits, right? Yeah. Uh, headshots and things of that sort. So I look for things. I look for things more so now than I ever have before. Because of the level of detail that we have to put into food and beverage. So compare and contrast portrait photography to food and beverage. like. If you had to pick one to do the rest of your life, which one would it be? That's a tough one. <laughs> hey, as the podcast goes, the questions get harder. Right, right. <laughs> I gamified it. You're on level two right now. Right. So, yeah, I would I would probably do food and beverage. Um, I just saw something recently. Like, I think the, the food industry brings in approximately $5 billion a day. Wow. People got to eat. They got to eat. Food's good. Food is delicious, <laughs> and it's sexy, yeah. right? I'm going to stick to that. Um, why not get a piece of that? Food is not going away. Yeah, it's changing a little bit, right? But it's not going away. Um, and why not be a professional that could bring that to people's living room, to, yeah. their, to, their, to their reading time, to, to their um, social media time, whatever the case may be. Why not be the person to do that? Sure. Right? I love shooting people. Um, it's something, for me, it's about the light. Love doing it. I love crafting light. Um, but I also like a challenge. And sometimes, you know, we could be sitting here talking and 
um, we're getting ready to do your portrait, and I'll see Gary or somebody do a few moves, and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to capture that, you know. Um, and I don't want to say that portraiture is simplified because it's not. I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, make it seem as if anybody can do that because they can't. Uh, but I think there's a, another level of uh, uh, skill yeah. that goes into being a food and beverage photographer. So I see this more with beverage than food, but with beverage photography, CGI is becoming more and more uh, a choice of where to go because you can get it almost too perfect. So since cheating is already allowed, do you see yourself or do you want to explore what you can do with CGI? Do you see yourself eventually getting to that point? I do. I do. I've actually started looking into programs uh, to take a formal approach. I've never taken a formal program as a photographer. I had an apprenticeship under a wedding photographer. That's how I learned lighting. Yeah. Uh, he would do portraits of the, the bride and the bridesmaids and the, the groomin and groomsmen. And then after the wedding, he would do family portraits using strobes. And I was responsible for setting that stuff up and tearing it down. And then at a certain point, that became my responsibility. Yeah. You know? You're gonna do this today, and I'm like, what? <laughs> right? But that's how I learned how to craft light. Um, and um, in in doing so, you learn to apply things across the board. Yeah. You know, you learn to to carry those things from one area to the next, and you learn to master those things in those areas. Yeah. Um, and I know I didn't answer your question. Because no, I, mean, I, I drifted off of no, it. <laughs> no, you did. Uh, well, I, I find it crazy about CGI in that if you are the one, and there's so many different jobs right. that are part of the CGI. There's different, uh, you know, people that do different things that, uh, you know, apply texture. I don't even know all the names to them. Yeah. But what I found was fucking crazy is that if you don't have an understanding of how light works, right. you can't think in your mind, okay, I'm trying to achieve this look, and I know that I need two strip lights behind uh, to you know, to the left and the right, I need to have a fill above and a pan head here to create this look. If you don't have those recipes mm -hmm. in your head, right, you you're either never going to be able to get there, or it's going to be super time consuming, consuming for you to try and like craft that light because in those programs you have to put lights places exactly and create and understand and craft exactly yeah. exactly. So yes, to answer your question, uh, I think CGI is something that. Uh, is going to be a threat. I've talked to a few CGI artists, and they're like, yeah, we're coming for your job. Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, and it's, it wasn't to be mean or mean-spirited, uh, but it's just a fact. Technology is evolving. It's going to evolve. And I think part of our job as professionals is to evolve with it. You know, this is how people get left behind, right? Um, so to answer that question, yeah, I, I do see myself getting involved in CGI. Whether it be me learning up front how that works and, and learning how to do it, or getting involved in partnering partnering with someone who does it uh, to see secondhand how it works and then yeah. moving into it, um, you know there are already companies who are investing thousands in CJI artists because they can you know easily create this without having to ship a box of bottles yeah, yeah. to the photographer to shoot and relabel and things of that sort. Well, it's interesting because the time it takes to create something, it's kind of the same. So let's say you and a CGI artist started out at the exact 
same day and time to create something. You have to set up lights. He has to set up the environment and then start adding layers to it. But then once he realizes or, or she that, hey, I want to create this texture, they have to render it. Yes. And then for two or three or sometimes overnight, overnight depending on right. the complexity, you then have to wait. Right. That whole time you're working. That's why right now CGI and the right you know photographer is about the same price. Right. And that all comes down to how fast that computer can mm-hmm. render mm-hmm. that texture or file. Right. So I think when shit's going to get real crazy is when computers and the processors can create that almost instantly yes. without the wait. But yes. then what is that going to cost? And ladies and gentlemen, this is why you need to jump in on this now. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, and be prepared for that change uh, or that evolution. Um, and to your point, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, what is the return on the investment to hire that CGI artist and wait that amount of time to get that work back? Yeah. Um, you know, what are the dollars and cents in that is my question because, you know, we look at certain campaigns that have been done by CGI, you know, maybe they didn't have to hire talent because t- talent was able to be recreated in that sense. Um, so you wonder about those things, right? But I do see that there's a future for that. I see that that, that technology has evolved over the last few years and it's steadily evolving. Yeah. But even for a beverage photographer that may be moving in that direction, to your point, you're going to have to have those core competencies of lighting yeah. and composition before you can jump into that, Yeah, I would think. Yep. So, yes. Yeah, and, and I'll say it again. I know I said it earlier, but if, I think the, the fastest way to grow, if, even if you want to be a wedding or portrait photographer, if you dive into food and beverage education, Man, you learn so much so quickly. If you oh, have yeah. the means and the gear, and you do need a lot more gear and modifiers. Yes. And a lot more patience. Yes. But look, I think the one advantage is your subject isn't moving. Once right. you get them in the pose of right. that perfect smile, they're there forever. Or until you bump the table and you're like, fuck. <laughs> I, I kicked the tripod re- again. Shoot everything. <laughs> All right. Oh, the tripod, I kicked it again. <laughs> right, fucking right. floor stand that cost 2000 bucks. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So, George, I know that you also do this. Um, you also have a full-time job. Yes. And you're in a position that a lot of people are in where they want to quit. Mm-hmm. Are, do you want to get to that point? Like, when is it going to be do. the right time for You know, my fiance asked me that uh, one night. She said, so how do you know? And I said, well, I have a lot to think about. You know, we're trying to start a family, you know. Um, and I think you know when things start working. Right. When those jobs are not necessarily rolling in, but those jobs are coming. Right. You're getting them here and there. And then there's the um, there's that as a business person, there's that time where you start to realize if I wasn't spending eight hours a day doing this and really focusing and digging in here. I could double, triple, quadruple the amount of what's coming in now. Yeah. And being that I just moved to St. Louis, I haven't gotten there yet. And I got a sweet deal. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I love my job. I work from anywhere. Yeah. You know, I have a dual role. Yeah. I, you know? All right. So talk about that yeah. if you can. You've got, you work for a, a large company. Yeah. And you are actually half of the time a photographer and half the time something completely different. Yeah. <laughs> so my primary role is a go-to-market project manager. Right, and I support the care organization or the corporate liable care organization for that entity, um, and I spend eight hours a day doing that. But I get the opportunity 
to travel with our creative agency. And I mainly cover the events for the, uh, the agency and for that entity, right? So I spend a lot of time with our executives and we travel to some really cool places. Um, but in the meantime, you know, if I'm away on a 14 hour day, later on that night while everybody else is hanging out and having dinner, I'm taking care of those care responsibilities that I still have as an employee of this company. Um, it's a unique opportunity. I enjoy it. Um, and I have to be mindful as a business owner of a small business that I have to still, within that travel for the photography portion or project management, I still have to dedicate and pay attention to my personal business, right? Um, but it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. So it makes it hard for you to say, I need to jump ship, right? Um, but there is going to come a time, you know, they say you can't serve two masters, right? There's going to come a time where I'm going to have to decide. I'm going to have to, am I going to do this? I need to do this and not yeah. try to juggle. And, and you know, yeah. you're going to have to make the decision. And I, I kind of alluded to it earlier in, in the intro that I gave to you, but we're now neighbors. You just now moved to St. Louis and you were originally in the Detroit area. Yeah. So now you're kind of in a new market and you have to reset up. A I have to lines. learn the market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what I was doing in Michigan was I got into a point to where I was starting to speak to people who were interested in what we're doing uh, about why you should invest in yourself, why you should understand pricing and understand your market, right? And I can't go back on that. So I'm in St. Louis now, and I'm, I'm looking for who my competition may be. Um, not that I care, but I need to know who they are, right? But I'm also looking to find out what they're doing, how they're doing it, what their pricing structure may be. And that may not be readily available, right? Yep. But I have to kind of figure out what's the, the minimums, what's the maximums in, those, in that area before I jump out here and look goofy, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so I'm, that's where I am right now. I'm studying that, uh, getting to know the area. Um, it's a different market. It's not Michigan. You know, there's a yeah. there's a different mindset there, right? So I'm getting to to know the people here, the areas and the histories and things of that sort, and making connections and talking with people to get a better understanding. So in the meantime, I've tore down my website. I've completely rebuilt my website on a new platform. Uh, I've strengthened uh, my my contact forms and automated forms and things of that sort and crafted canned letters, you know, yeah. things that I can quickly shoot out to somebody that I just met that may be interested in having me come in. Yeah. Um, that's where I am in, in the research phase. Ooh, if you you know what? I've got an idea. You know what you should do is become the, the guy for the new Seltzer revolution. The new what? Seltzer. Seltzer. The, the hard Seltzers. Do you know, like, oh, yeah. every fucking, per every company now is making them. Yes. There are so many brands. I guess this started about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, but everything, like there's Bud Light Seltzer. Right, right, Every, right. I think I saw Keystone Light Seltzer. Oh, wow. It looked like a Keystone Light, <laughs> but my point being, like that market's growing so quickly. Right. If you, you know, to get to work, you gotta have the work, right? Right. So if you started, like you can shoot the shit out of a can, Yeah. started taking all of these new brands, all of these new cans and creating environments, and you became like, go-to seltzer guy i mean budweiser is in st louis right so right you, right if you come out with I a like portfolio it. budweiser better be in it i like it and, and and i just completed some shots with budweiser in it 
oh, nice. um, proudly to say. Um, it's a sexy bottle. It is. And, and it's the uh, the Jim Bean Black. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The copper yeah. something. Yes. Yeah. And um, something simple. As a matter of fact, I, so I'll, I'll go through these phases where I'm like, you know what? I want to tear something down, right? Uh, and I like that idea about the seltzers. Gary's going to be my new agent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, uh, David just walked in. He's been in a meeting. Yeah. WPPI right. meeting. David's here. He's back. Hi, George. Well, hello, we David. We missed him in the last episode. Dr. Parrish. Yeah. Back in the mix. Back, yeah. <laughs> so, David, you actually met George with me at the same time. No, we did. In, yeah, in the workshop in St. Louis. And now look at him. He's the seltzer king of St. Louis. Well, you know, and I think the, the seltzer thing, I, I kind of walked in on the tail end of this conversation, but, like, I think the, the seltzer thing, I mean, it's it's primarily focused on, on the female demographic, the female market. Like, a White Claw, for example, is one of them. Um, I was introduced to that by a group of mommies, like mm. weird enough, you know, <laughs> I, I, I won't explain that because I don't want <laughs> right. to lose cool points. Um, Wait, but, not to interrupt you, but what's your dad diaper bed look like? Is it camo? It's oh, camo. I mean, I'm, it's tactical for sure. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Tactical. Like right. I actually, right. I actually, when I, <laughs> I actually carry around like my daughter in, in what looks like a plate carrier, it looks like a, a bulletproof vest <laughs> mo- with the Molly things, everything on it. And she just, Right oh, yeah. in there right. when I when I need to do stuff when I need to be dad on the go. I believe you. But back to the seltzer thing. But so <laughs> the seltzer <laughs> thing, I, I think, would be interesting to to explore, kind of that targeted marketing approach of you know because, I mean, let's face it, uh, liquor for the most part for a very long time has been male centric. It's it's focused on. I mean, the marketing has always been focused on male. Um, then they started getting into like some cocktail drinks that are a little more, uh, I'm air quoting again, uh, traditionally female. Mm-hmm. But I think it'd be interesting to see like those lifestyle, kind of a lifestyle brand centered around mm. seltzer, how you could walk and drink. Like, right. I don't know, I hear people do that, like yeah. Yeah. certain places or I like it. how uh, you could do your like do summertime you lifestyle. Right? It's kind of like chewing bubble gum and patting your head. I can't do that. Oh. <laughs> Multitasking is a lie. Don't go above my head. <laughs> Get out of here. I mean, seriously, you want me to leave? I just got here. <laughs> just got Welcome back. Thanks. Welcome back. <laughs> All right, so the seltzer, we're we're doing this. Yeah, yeah let's, start build, let's start I building mean, little sets. I feel let's like I feel like you could do this really easily. Oh, I know we can. Yeah. You know, it's the challenge. So, you know, we'll sit there. We'll, yeah. You know, we'll make this work. And since it's a can, you know, I mean, I can't. I can. I can just picture now the ice. Tr- Trinkling down the side oh, of it as God, I hate we prepare for. Listen, we'll, we'll that. go to IKEA. We'll go to the Dens and Dean section. Get some interesting textures. There we go. Mm. We'll go then we'll go crazy. Yeah, Start there could be a whole tutorial, dude, on how to apply ice chips. I hate them. Yeah, you know. Oh, you mean like the the diaper insides that you paint <laughs> to the sides? <laughs> right. Me and Kyle Brown had a conversation the other day um, about techniques of doing that. You know, and and. You know, that's one of the beauties of the community, too, is when I need someone to lean on, I have people in the community I can reach out to. And, you know, I, I express my frustration with the, right. with the ice chips, right, uh, and painting them on and then <laughs> being a ton of slush at the bottom of the right. table. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, I think uh, with the seltzer, we could do the, the ice chips and some splashes, right? Um, I could see it now, the, the aquarium with the... 
can falling in and all the fruits because yeah. they always have free right, fruity right. flavors. All the seltzers are completely clear, right? Right, yeah. right. So, all right, so in shooting, what's been harder for you? Do you have a preference, like a completely clear liquid or like a darker, like whiskey? Dark you know, I... Or like yeah. a Guinness. So I found myself, you know, shooting uh, brown liquors. I'm like, hmm. well, wait a minute. Hold Say it on. again. <laughs> Hold on, wait a minute. So cheers. recently, I cheers. cheers as we drink brown liquor. Yeah. But recently, I, I purchased a bottle of gin, and I reached out on Instagram to the company and, and I asked them for their uh, signature recipes. And going back to what I was going to go into earlier, I recently uh, so I I have my approach to staying consistent is sometimes tearing down things, right? And we know you're going to have that polarized, gridded beauty dish at the top, and you're going to have that strip light on the side or shooting through the fusion to get that edge light. You're going to do those practical things because that's how we've kind of been trained to do it, right? But I said I wanted to shoot a bottle using one light source, right? Now, if you're an old school, I don't even see old school, but some photographers consider reflectors as lights. I do, right? Mm. Um, that so. was going to be the only added element outside of that produced light source that I was going to use to shoot this bottle. And I'll show it to you guys. But everything I shot in that two-day span was with that one light source. Are using you moving the light I was about to say, I was going to no. ask, is it moving or no, it's solid? No, not at all. It's solid. only thing that's moving is maybe the reflectors, right, as I move around the table. Uh, in the polarizer turning to knock down certain glares that are being created as I move around the table with the reflectors. But my goal was to really understand what this top light was doing to my image and how I can grab light and put it in other places simply using a reflector or a bounce card or a black card and stopping that light. Um, so that's one of my methods to strengthen me as a photographer and keep me relevant because now I can say I know exactly what that light is going to do. Right. And yeah, you would think that you would do that in the beginning. And yes, I do, but I revisit those things, you know, and I still to this day when I'm lighting a bottle, I'll turn off each light and see exactly what I'm getting. I mean, I like to do that even in my work and, and I like to, you know, kind of do additive light. So you're throwing in a light, finding out exactly where it's hitting before you move on to add the next right. light, before you move on to add the next light. But I think uh, something sounds like what you're basically saying the same thing. It's um, I think those times that we do limiting exercises is critical to your creativity and right. your ability to grow and understand because I think that's where we come up with new techniques and right. we, we push limits. Right. Um, I, I'm sure, I mean, you and I have been friends for several years now. Um, like in October, I did this Instagram shoot every single day of October and post a portrait. Um, and like for that, I, I limited my lens choices. I limited what I could use for light, how many lights there could be. Um, and man, I, I was addicted to it by right. then, like trying to just be like, what else can you squeeze out of this thing? Right. Yeah, I, I don't remember you asking well we weren't in the same yeah. place at the same time i would have flown down gave that yeah that's what you say all the time and you've only come one time <laughs> this is a sick bottle i mean the bottle's pretty number one so when you when you grab that bottle off the shelf and this is a gin bottle that we're looking at now i'm going to actually release these but so this is a world premiere 
right? World premiere. <laughs> uh, I'm going to eventually For our eyes things. only. Right, for our, right. <laughs> Everybody else is just hearing, just hearing about, about it. it. Right. It's green and it has great diffusion going through it. But when you, when you grab that bottle on the shelf, I immediately thought it was black. And I happened to turn it toward light in the store and was like, wait a minute, this is a green bottle. Yeah. What can I do with this? Right. Especially with one light. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it worked, right. right? But to your point, right? This is the way you create a new technique or, you know, add well, a skill set. And, and on, on top of that, I think, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to the argument that gear doesn't make the photographer. Right. If right. you start stripping away gear, even if, even though you own it, mm -hmm. you have the ability to grab a hold of it. But, you know, let's say, I think the other things it does is it helps you come up with contingency plans right. for. Oh, you know, I was out on this shoot and God forbid you drop the lens and that exactly. lens is out of the question and it's no longer there. Or, you know, some, some PA stumbles over a light and right. now one of your lights are gone. How, how do you, what do you do? Do you just scrap the job or do you like, Oh, I got, I got a solution right. for this. That's a good point. You know, because one of the things that we have been talking about this weekend, um, is recovery. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of young photographers, um, that are going directly to YouTube and they're seeing this perfect outcome every time, yeah. you know, and you mean people don't post their jacked up stuff. Yeah, Doesn't happen. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Weird. So, you know, how do you recover in an instance you are on set um, and something's broken, yeah. something's not working. I know, you know, we, I was taught that, the night before, I'm setting up and I'm testing this glass against light and positioning things on the table so the next day, when it's time to shoot, I can go right back to what we worked on the night before and prep, set everything right back up the way it was, and move forward. What if it doesn't work? What if something's changed? Something, some variable. Yeah. Ambient light's different. How do you recover, right? And a lot of people don't, because now it's you're in crisis mode. Well, and I think I think also, I mean, this 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 translates into lots of areas of mm -hmm. life. But really, I think like creating those uh, crisis situations or creating those points of failure and then working through them. Now you have that you've you formed a mental roadmap that you can follow again. And I think right. that's so critical. I think, again, too many photographers don't do limiting exercises. Mm -hmm. They don't create, uh, you know, these these situations that they're going to have to think harder. I mean, so many people kind of get stuck really in what works for them. And, and even when it's making a lot of money and it, and it is kind of their thing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you never explore anything else. You become a one trick pony. Like I've got it. I've got, right. a, I've got a million dollar idea. Oh, another one. Ready? Oh, here we go. We've made it. We've made a couple million we've, today. We've made some money. All <laughs> yeah. right. Do you know obstacle courses like, you know, like tough mud or oh, my God. You wow. run and, Photographer one hundred and one. You're climbing over shit. What if we created an obstacle course for photographers? Like you run into a room and it's like low light. You got to pick up a camera. You got yelling. No, you no. Like, let's take it to the next and level. Like, Fuck it. What do you do? You no. got two. <laughs> you got two minutes. I mean, I love this. Yeah. But let's let's do it in an escape room. Yeah. Like in order to get out of the yeah. room, you got to find okay. all of the things that are there to set up yeah. the perfect and if shot. You don't get it, you die. Yeah. Kill you. <laughs> we just. Flames, all or nothing. You're either a great commitment. photographer or you're, or you're dead. dead. Or you're dead. Yeah, I'm not involved in Shoot that. Shoot or part. die. Shoot or die. That's what we can call yeah. it. Shoot or die. Yeah. <laughs> Take one stop out. Now. <laughs> right. No right. cheating. Right. And there's some AI computer that's analyzing it, saying yeah, whether or not you eyes. got it right. Yeah, it's looking at your eyes. Where's right. your focus at? <laughs> right. 
have you Why talked not? about have you talked about uh you speaking at wppi yet or no we have yeah no. so uh we're kind of i guess tomorrow's the last day of wppi so yeah. as of as a food and beverage photographer, how are you using and leveraging an event like WPPI and what'd you come out here for? I, I, I came out here, um, I was asked to come out and speak um, about diversity and inclusion in photography. Um, All right, everybody, let your blood pressure come down. Right, right. You know, but we have to be vulnerable with one another. Yeah. Um, this topic is so raveled going to take a lot of conversation to unravel it yeah. right and i don't want people to feel that diversity is a black thing it's not it is totally not it's about inclusion right um so i want people to to let's flip the script you mm -hmm. know put yourself in somebody's shoes somebody gary when was the last time you went to an naacp meeting never okay and it's not because you're not interested or you don't think that you would want to support, but they don't necessarily, you know, those individuals may not look like you. We don't move in the same circles. So it takes these interactions to start to unravel that thinking, right? And a lot of times it's because we just don't have those opportunities. Yeah. Um, so I was invited here to sit on a panel of, of uh, fellow photographers to, to start to address that. Um, and there were different people from different walks of life and different ethnicities and things of that sort. Um, and it was a good conversation, but it can't stop there. Yeah. Right. There had to be actionable items put in place um, uh, to see change. Right. And nobody wants a handout and that's not what's being asked for. We just want, you know, uh, people, Asian, Indian, white, black, everybody wants to be in an organization where they feel represented, where they can look up to somebody that looks like them. Yeah. Sure. Right? Yeah. You know? Now, I'm a little different, dude. I, I'll walk into, I've gone into the country bar, you know, in that neighborhood and, and had beer and had a good time, you know? Are you saying country's a white thing? Yeah, well, you know, listen. <laughs> I like that. Good, good, good comeback. I mean, I'm hey, listen, saying, I thought mother, we were talking diversity and inclusion mother, here. Come on. And man. I was I was including myself. <laughs> All right. My mother is from Tulsa, Oklahoma, man. We listen to country music in the house, right? Did, did you just pull like the I got a black friend card? <laughs> yeah, I did. My mom's from Tulsa. <laughs> David is killing me here. Yeah. No, but, um, you know, but some people may not be comfortable enough to do that. Yeah. Right. Um, and it takes more than just putting a, uh, and I hate to use the word person of color because I kind of feel like it, it groups everybody's experience. Well, and really what we're talking about is beyond that, because right. I mean, let's, let's look at like in, in beverage photography. I mean, how, I don't know of a single female photographer that would be in there and that's would be a inclusion. Um, I don't, you know, I mean, we're, we're really getting down to it. We're getting down to a lot of, a huge gambit of, of people that maybe aren't being included, included or given the right. same opportunity. Right. Um, you know, and I, I, as you know, as I'll explain it to everybody else, you know, you and I have talked about this a couple of times um, and just trying to think about even like in, in the pro edu world, the uh, educational game. Mm -hmm. I, I don't see a lot of representation of, of people of color. I right. mean, the women are definitely breaking into that mm -hmm. scene, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, when you, all right. So when you guys say representation, I'm looking at the industry and I'm like, okay, who, what do you mean by representation of so, that person of color or that gender? Yeah. Right. And, you know, so 
if I say to you, you know, name me professional black photographers that are truly established in our industry. Yeah. Um, Exactly. All right. Well, we, know, we know a few. I mean, Jason McCoy. Right. Yeah. Jason McCoy, you know. Um, Dallas. Dallas. Yeah. Uh, Kesha Lambert. Um, right. Um, so, you know, now these names are starting to appear slowly but shortly over the past few years. But if we were to move into a, another room, right, yeah. with another group of people and we ask that same question, you may hear the same thing. Matthew Jordan Smith. Yeah. And then you move to the next room, Matthew Jordan Smith, right? Um, and not that that's a bad thing, but, you know, are there more people doing it, right? Um, and that's what we mean by representation. Yeah. And, you know, with diversity with diversity comes inclusion and, of course, equity, right? You have Those things have to play together. And you can't have diversity without all groups playing a part. Right, so it's the haves and the haves nots because now the the majority needs to figure out ways to share and yeah. make people feel inclusive and give out, you know, not give out but assist in getting that equity. Yeah, I mean, I, and and I think I love the way that you corrected that. You know, it's not it's not giving out; it's the spots earned. Still, it definitely, it's just yeah, the difference of, um, you know, maybe maybe thinking about things in a different way right. or. Um, I think these open and honest conversations is what we need, not only in photography, but in, in our country in as our a country whole. Right. And, and, and then just having those, those conversations without being afraid of like, oh, right. I'm going to offend you. Right. Um, you know, and I, you see it in the photography world. Uh, I've seen some uh, of the big, bigger blogs do some articles, and a lot of times their, their cut line or their headline is, is purposely you know scaled basically to be clickbait almost right because that's how they're going to get paid and right. but and then from that people read the headline and are automatically triggered and instead of the conversation actually being what it's about, about right it all becomes about that yeah, yeah. inflammatory right. headline that never half the people never even got past that but mm -hmm. in a clickbait world like that's the marketing thing like i'm going to purposely put it this exactly. way exactly because all of those comments are driving up that thing's traffic right, and its right, attention. Right. And so one, th one thing that I want to bring up and hear your guys' feedback or thoughts is that in certain industries where there's someone else dictating your promotions or futures, there's definitely a lot of racism or, yeah. uh, you know, people pre preventing a certain group or class or gender of, of people, uh, you know, equal pay for equal work, stuff like that. Right. But as photographers, they're primarily people that own their own businesses and dictate their own future. And it's the people hiring or the end customers that are, are uh, the ones hiring them. Why do you think in an industry like that, where you're your own boss and you're your own industry is still somehow preventing, let's say inclusion? I mean, I would like to hear George's thought. I have some thoughts, but I, I, I want to hear what George has to say about it. I mean, are you, are you your own boss? I think it, most photographers are. I, you know? I think your client is. Sure. Right? Um, and what we're talking about here is we're, we're talking about an industry that has uh, created a lane for only a specific group of people. Right? That's how it would look. I don't want to generalize. I don't want to place blame or point fingers. I'm just going to – I really want to stick to the facts. Um, 
And then when you have people who are looking to break into those lanes, to your point, there is that pushback or there's that, you know, those reasonings as to why we, we're not going to include this particular group, whatever they may be, right? Um, and that's where the issue is, right? Um, especially when you have people who have done the work, yeah, who have climbed the ladder, who have created their own businesses, who are consistently putting out the same quality, if not better, than their counterparts. Sure. Yep. But they're being told that this platform may not necessarily be for you because yeah. you don't look like us. So that col- it's, it's almost like I think what you're saying is there's a lot of colleagues in the industry of yeah. like your yeah. fellow photographers. Like, So think about this. You. Think about this. If somebody calls you today, right, and, and they asked you to, to provide a, a photographer to, to cover something, can we honestly say that our friend group is really diverse, right? Mine's pretty deep. And I mean, I think, I, I think, I think we could, be, I, the three I, of and, us and sitting just, here could say that. Well, yes. I mean, I'm, and I'm saying fairly, I, I mean, we, I've purposely gone out and found right. a whole bunch of photographers that do a ton of different genres because right. I'm, I'm recruiting talent all the time. All the so time. I want to see who they are. And that's true. And, um, and we, yeah. But also, you know, I'll full transparency like i've contacted you mm-hmm. uh, offline well really online but i've contacted you online um i've contacted like roy b from from denver and and been like hey like who who are these like who should i be paying attention to because mm-hmm. my circle's not deep enough right um and sometimes i think you you kind of have to take that approach of being, of realizing like again this conversation clearly needs to be had right who who can i reach out right. to and figure out but also the more people it's kind of kind of like all the data we gather off of social media or anything else the the more people we have in the conversation the more we can start pinpointing if there is a problem mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. the problem is existing and kind of what our next steps are to right. eliminate yeah. it but right. so we can say that right well what about others you oh know, man can you can and i guess at this point i'm speaking to the audience right because i know you Right, we're from two different walks of life. No, you, right? Um, but we're not from two different walks of life. <laughs> no, David, we are. Doctor Parrish, yes, we are. But my my point is, is that some of us, our our friend groups, are not truly diverse. Yeah. And and it's getting it's getting it's getting worse, we're isolating like ourselves, right? right? You know? Well, at least on the electronic world, I'll say it's getting worse. Like, well, not, not just in the electronic world. I mean. You know, I've had situations at work where there are conversations amongst my my coworkers about something that happened over the weekend, and I wasn't necessarily invited. Not that I wanted to be, right? But there are people that have friends at work, and that's where they stay. Yeah. Right. And then there are people who invite those friends from work into their personal circles. Yeah. yeah. Right. But again, that's where those recommendations come into play. You know, if I know somebody that's yeah, doing yeah. quality work, I can recommend them. But yeah. do they look like me or do they look like yeah. you? Yeah, know? I mean, sure. yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And, well, I mean, and also like in the social realm, uh, you know, you're going to be shown what you interact with the most. I mean, that's that's kind of how the right the, the word of 2019 is algorithm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of how the algorithms work is right. that now the more stuff that you, <laughs> that you interact with, the more yeah. stuff that you do, the more that it continues to narrow and narrow and narrow. I mean, like for thought experiments, I, uh, you know, like I will, I will consume 
Fox News, usually written, written stuff, and mm-hmm. then I mm-hmm. will jump over to CNN and see the exact mm-hmm. same thing. But but because of that, like my 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 feed on my social world on both sides is is now far more open, far mm-hmm. more diverse. Mm-hmm. I'm getting thrown different ideas. Um, if you guys, you know, I mean, all this is playing into politics, of course. Right. To uh, you're you're being targeted. Even the mailers now that you're being targeted for because it's voting season yeah. is all yeah. dependent on on your voting record. I right. I realized this the other day as I uh, went to a, a friend's house for a meeting and she only had stuff from all the Democrat like candidates mm-hmm. and I was like, man, where's your where's where's your R's? And she's like, I didn't I don't get any because I vote party line. And I was like, oh, because I'm getting both, you know, right, like and right. I vote all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That was interesting. Yeah. So it's and interesting thing, to see this big machine, this right. huge machine now, and, and how much data it's really right. really grabbing. And right. And this topic is not going to go away, right? Because people yeah. who feel like they haven't had the opportunity to truly have a seat at the table are going to start making more noise, yeah. right? Um, and it's not, again, it's not just blacks or African Americans. You know, it's our Asian brothers and sisters. It's our, it's our white brothers and sisters. It's everybody. They yeah. want... Uh, they want equity. They want to feel a part of something, right? And, you know, there's a study, uh, a survey that was done in 2018, I can't think of the name of it, that basically said that companies that truly invest in diversity have the potential to outperform their competitors by 35%. Yeah, I believe that. Right? Why? Because you have people in your offices that can speak those different languages, yeah. those different subsets of people who are buying from them. Right. I mean, and, and and again, like when you start pulling data, I, I can never have your experience. Right. I can never have the female experience. Mm-hmm. The only way I can get that is to either have you at the table having the discussion or like by coming to you and like, hey, no judgment. Like, here's, here's some things I think. Here's some things I believe. Like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Not asking you to speak for the entire black community, but right. at the same time, <laughs> right, right. You know, uh, and you know, why not better serve the people that you're you're selling to, that are buying from you, by having people in place that can help you speak to those groups. Sure, yeah. You know, um, well, and also, like, I mean, you know, if you are going to buy from uh, an end of a, a business. Do you yourself stop and look for? Hey, am I represented in mm-hmm. this brand? Yeah. yeah so, like, I think sure. anybody would. If I if I have zero representation, I might think twice before for doing business with you. Because yeah, I want to give my money to that. Yeah. You know, um, I've I don't really know letters. where you're at. <laughs> I've sent letters like, hey, you know, what is your minority uh, your minority business uh, network look like? Yeah. You know, are you are your suppliers minority suppliers? Right, because there are organizations out there for government and corporate that. Um, that ensure that certain contracts meet minority, you know, yeah, have a, yeah. a, I don't want to say a quota, but make sure that they are giving consideration yeah. to minority businesses. Somebody just turned off this podcast. Right. right. They're exactly. like, equal opportunity. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> they turned it off. But, um, yeah, yeah. So as we move forward and, and you know, you want to better serve the people that are that are spending their time and their money with you. And, and that's. We wouldn't have Gucci incidents where they put blackface on a T-shirt. If they had somebody in their marketing department that was willing to say, 
come on, bro. That's not going to work. <laughs> like, seriously, pull that yeah. shit back. There's a lot of people you just made mad. Exactly. Like, no, I'm not making you mad, but right. like Gucci. I'm sending Gucci's. I was like, no, son. No, no. <laughs> you know, I mean. Your mama did not teach you right. Right. You know, it's like, here's this demographic that buys from us, and we're going to slap them in the face. Right. And it's, again, back to what I was saying that, you know, certain experiences, um, may not be understood, so they become insensitive actions. And that could easily be avoided if you have a, a network of people that are helping you promote your brand or push your brand or manage your brand um, to the groups that you're promoting to. Sure. Right? Um, And it's, you know, that's that's just, that's the long and the short. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the important thing that out of this whole conversation is that there is a conversation that's starting. You know, I mean, you don't have to agree with everything. Right. Um, I'm I'm sure there's people out there listening right now who won't. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, and, and I think well, I mean, I think uh, the analogy I like to use with uh, a lot of the performance work and the psychology work that I used to do is, um, you know, you're you're cracking the door. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the conversation is just, you know, you're just you're just getting the door cracked mm-hmm, and then later mm-hmm. on you might come yeah. and give it a little bit more push but right. before you can walk all the way through it you might be taking yeah. stages to, yeah, exactly. to see where moving it's at phases. Yeah. And moving phases i always found it interesting and I'll, I'll bring this up to kind of end it is when i lived in moldova i think i saw two total black people in almost two and a half years yeah the country itself is 99.9 percent white yeah and the only really subset that I saw where there was racism from one race to another was uh, the gypsy yeah. population or the Tsigani. Um, and for the most part, you know, it was just like a, for the most, uh, to me, there was like, both these people are white. Like, yeah. I, for a lot of things, like, you can't tell a difference. Yeah. What I found the most interesting was they would ask me questions about racism. They'd see like something about racism on TV and they're like, Oh, the American the knows. <laughs> yeah, like, what's the deal? Like, for a, for a country like that that doesn't have the diversity that we do, and then we have everyone, it's a, yeah. uh, it's a melting pot. They don't have any of it, yeah. and they don't understand it. And I think a lot of Europe has been like that. Of course, they have their own, like, a lot of it is, like, a r- religious-based uh, bias. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily race, but I found it really fascinating to have that outsider's perspective and be like, wow, this... They don't have any of this yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where I was going. With that. I just no, I mean, it's, <laughs> it really, kind of wildly fascinating. It really is crazy. I mean, I, I uh, you know, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, when the whole uh, Bosnia thing went off, um, I mean, that, it was very similar in that, yeah. in that way, too, where sure, it was yeah. just, I mean, it's basically, for the most part, white people against white people, air quoting here. However, yeah. um, it was mostly based on well, you're this type of person, and I'm this type of yeah. person, mm-hmm. and then, mm-hmm. or you're this type of religion, and I'm this type of religion, mm-hmm. and so we're just going to start killing each other. Right? right. You're like, man, it's and nuts. You it's know, nuts. The, so the beauty of these conversations is now you get a chance to unravel that, yep. and you start to see that wait a minute, we aren't that much different. No, we're human, right? Yeah. But the problem is that you still have the roadblock that some people don't want to enter these conversations, yeah. and I get it. It's that's tense. Yeah. Last well, night we got a little tense, you know, um, but again we have to be vulnerable enough with one another. Wait, to what be happened able last to, night? Well, you know, just some in your, in your talk, some yeah, some people okay. felt attacked, right? All right yeah. And Doctor Paris, yeah. we know, right, that sometimes when people feel attacked, they shut down. Right. They hang on that that one word 
they, you know, not to say that this person misconstrued anything, but that's a natural reaction for some of us, right? right? When we feel attacked, we go into defense mode, right? right? Fight or flight. And it intensified and it, 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 it distracted from the discussion. But what had to happen was we had to stop. We had to address what was said. We had to give each side the opportunity to really clarify. And then we move forward, mm. right? And we continue the discussion. Well, and, you know, and, and ultimately, bring this thing whole full circle is just like we do limiting exercises. We just made that argument for doing limiting exercises in, in photography right. because once you you bring things to light, it's uncomfortable in that situation while you're learning. Right. You know, and you, when you really think about it, like one of one of my favorite. Uh, a biblical thing but one of my favorite things is is the phrase iron sharpens iron right right right. i mean really what we're getting down to is it's kind of a blacksmithing term right Mm -hmm. i'm sitting here taking steel or iron and putting it against that same substance in order to create this thing right have you ever stopped to think about how violent that is and how much it sucks probably for the two pieces that are being literally smashed together to create something that's new Uh, and i think that's really what we're talking about here Mm -hmm. is we're looking for opportunities um, to do limiting exercises and be like hey you know you're going to be uncomfortable in this situation and guess what that's okay because at the end of it at the end of it whether it's a limiting exercise i can only use one light in photography or it's having these discussions when the discomfort leaves Mm -hmm. i'm a better stronger more diverse more built more learned individual afterwards exactly it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot to you know take in um and i you know really quick a few years ago i had an opportunity to, to do a food shoot for a ramen place and, um, you know, when I was a kid, my dad taught me how to use chopsticks. Yeah. Man, he never taught me the etiquette around chopsticks. He probably didn't know. He, and he didn't, yeah. right? But I took it upon myself to, to be prepared. I'm like, I'm reading like, wow. And I, in speaking with the manager, she was very clear. She said, well, we had to excuse a photographer that was doing photography for us and stuck chopsticks straight down in the dish. And I was like, oh, okay, well, good to know. I won't do that. But my later research revealed that that is emblematic of death. Mm. <laughs> How are you going to sell that food dish, right? right? Um, but then it's a violation of the culture and and and, and their principles and beliefs, right? Um, so we have to be mindful of these things. But guess what? We have to learn these things. And yeah. it takes for us to want to know what these things mean, right? Um, so I would never do that. You know, there are some other etiquettes around chopsticks that I, you know, you you have to want to learn this. Um, and I think when that happens, that's when these walls start coming. Right. Yeah. Because again, we start realizing that, hey, we're not so different. Yeah. You know, so it has to happen. It should happen. Yeah. It should happen. The biggest thing that I learned about chopsticks is to to not try and play it at a really high-end restaurant on the piano, really drunk, and <laughs> or don't try and, don't try to play chopsticks. I don't even know how to play chopsticks. <laughs> Listen, anyway, that's. that's I thought I this know. was getting ready to be a serious. I know. That's, that's my chopstick you. story. That's, that's all the chopstick story that I have. <laughs> Very cool. So, well, where can people find you at on social? Uh, I can be found at G Mitchell Photo. Um, that's on Instagram and on Twitter. George Mitchell Photo on Facebook, and gmitchellphoto.com is my website. Awesome. That's, that's not up. Oh no, my website is oh, up. It's up. Right. He, yeah. he, he said he pulled down. it down so you can start it down and rebuilding. Put it right back oh, okay, all right. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's up. Right. It's fully functional. Well, 
George, I, you've got what? Probably three weeks before this episode comes out to be the Seltzer King of right. The, I got a lot of work to do. Maybe four weeks. <laughs> About four weeks. Right. Right. Let's start. Let's, start, let's, let's make start it happen. Shooting. Yes. Yeah. Let's do it. All right, man. Seriously, yeah. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having yeah. me on. We'll right. see you back in San Luis. Yes, sir. Look forward to it. All right. Take care. We out. Did you know that Gary's spirit animal is a small 12-year-old derelict Austrian boy named Julius that loves schnitzel? This podcast is officially over. See you next time. I don't know about you, but I take comfort in that. Catch you a little later on down the trail, dude. Follow us if you want to, or don't. Don't bother EDU none. Man, if I was really God, I'd make some popcorn appear. Right now. Just like, bam, popcorn. Mm -hmm. To become a working pro, you need experience. How do you build experience without working knowledge? Without a network of people in the know? Without other pros telling you good enough is not good enough? At ProEDU, we bring you the top working professionals to share their secrets of success in the most demanding of markets and push you to become the thriving, working pro you want to be. To help you find your own creative voice, it's not just about the fundamentals. It's not just about a process. You have to go all in. Pro EDU. Watch. Learn. Create.